With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Forward Progress, the Friday edition where we are doing props, fantasy, injury discussion about this week's games. As a reminder, we're doing Monday to Friday live on Forward Progress. 2 p.m. with an assortment of hosts and guests to talk about the football slate. Sunday mornings as well, Rob Pozzola will be once again doing the pizza buffet where he looks at the game's last minute, and if there's anything low-hanging that he thinks we could still pick off, he'll give it out. And then Sunday nights, him and Clive Bixby returned, and it was a great first episode. They give you the initial lines, where they think it's going to move, really good informative stuff. If you're enjoying the content, subscribe, hit the notifications bell. You don't want to miss any of the content. Also, smash the like button as it helps to boost the algorithm. Of course, none of this would be possible without our sponsor, Pinnacle. Pinnacle is the world's sharpest sports book and available to bettors in Ontario. Find out what professional bettors have known for the last 25 years. Competitive odds, your trusted sports book, bet smart, bet Pinnacle, must be 19 plus in Ontario. Please play responsibly. With that being said, I'm your host, George Sophies. I'm excited to get this show on the road. Before I introduce our first guest, there's an assortment of injuries that we're working through, and um, it gets harder and harder as the season goes along, and every team's uh, injury list becomes about 10 deep. Right now, the ones we're watching for, Austin Eckler hasn't practiced yet this week. If he doesn't practice again uh, today, it's probably unlikely that he doesn't play. Bosa hasn't practiced, and we're waiting on that today as well. Uh, their opponents, the Titans, are also banged up. Amani, Hook, Amani Hooker and Christian Fulton, starting safety and corner, have been ruled out. DeAndre Hopkins hasn't practiced all week. His status is still to be determined. Packers, Aaron Jones and Watson aren't practicing this week. Those would be two big losses for them. The Seahawks, who already lost Abe Lucas to the IR, their starting right tackle. They may also not have their starting left tackle. Charles Cross has not practiced. Carlton Davis for the Bucks, their number one corner, hasn't practiced. Jacoby Myers is doubtful with a concussion. It's unlikely that he plays. Travis Kelsey limited, working his way back. The Jags have an assortment of injuries on the O-line, Brandon Scherf and Luke Fortner. The Ravens are... are, are you know, very banged up. They lost a safety and running back for the season. Marcus Williams and J.K. Dobbins, their number one corner. Marlon Humphrey hasn't practiced. Ronnie Stanley, their left tackle. Tyler Linderbaum, their center, hasn't practiced. Mark Andrews is limited. We'll see if he's available to go. Uh, the guy who was probably the number one waiver ad in fantasy this week, Puka Nakua, did not practice with an oblique injury. Brandon Cooks from the Cowboys has an MCL sprain. It looks like it might be a one- or two-week injury. Jerry Judy looks like he's been practicing in full and will go. There are uh, conflicting reports, though, if he's going to have a limited snap count. Greg Dulcich, their tight end, unlikely to go. The, the Patriots are playing games with their uh, injury reports. They have four offensive linemen on the list right now. And then last but not least, Pat Fryermuth 
is limited, which is important because Deontay Johnson hit the IR and that would cost them two weapons. With that being said, let's bring in our first guest, Matthew Friedman, plus EV Sports Better, FantasyLife.com. Matthew, how are you? And thanks for joining us. Yeah, I'm good. Thanks for having me. And that was uh, quite the the rundown. It's sad that already week two, we're, we're having lists like this, and they're only going to get longer, as you mentioned, as the season goes on. By week nine, like I'm not going to be able to introduce you till 215. <laughs> <But laughs> exactly. The injuries. Um, let's start off with the Thursday night football recap. The injuries going into the game, uh, Garrett Bradbury, their center, was out for the Vikings. Christian Derrissaw tested his ankle, wasn't able to go in the game. The Eagles were without James Bradbury and Reed Blankenship, their corner and safety, as well as Kenneth Gainwell. But they also lost Avante Maddox during the game, and it looks like he might have a torn peck. All right, let's start off. The story of the game is the Eagles' uh, tremendous um, luck when it comes to turnovers. Four fumbles recovered, and still they, they didn't cover the number. My first question is, does Jalen Hurts look right to you? Because he hit some deep shots, but this is two consecutive games he didn't look good, or at least not at, at the caliber of contract that he got. Yeah, he's not where he was last year it's not especially surprising because one you would expect maybe a little bit of regression he was playing in peak form and then two a new offensive coordinator and even though uh the coordinator was there last year as the quarterback coach you know there's still a a change in terms of that guy being the play caller so i would say there was bound to be an adjustment uh but he's got several cheat codes he's got the running ability good weapons good offensive line if they can win while he's still i wouldn't say struggling but working his way into form that's pretty big for them yeah they've got a tremendous floor because of his skill set but you did mention like there was a concern in the offseason Shane Steichen is this wizard who you know he worked with Herbert in his rookie year he made Hertz a really top tier QB and now he's in Indy so that's something to watch the other thing to watch is going to be the Eagles running back rotation which I think is going to frustrate people for a long time this year Kenneth Gainwell got the majority of the touches week one then he doesn't play and deandre swift gets unlocked 28 carries for 175 yards how are we going to navigate him versus gainwell the rest of the year and is rashad penny an afterthought at this point yeah rashad penny i, I mean you know it feels like uh, you might as well put him in the grave at this point but swift i mean look I, i'm the last person you should be asking for i didn't have him ranked like in my top 24 entering this week because i thought it was going to be you know something of a a split committee um and i would say now i would expect swift to play kind of like the miles sanders type of role and for gainwell to play basically the gainwell role that he had last year that i would generally expect it to split like that yeah it, it almost begs to wonder why they didn't give swift the ball more in the first game uh, the other story came out was A.J. Brown frustration boiling over on the sideline. Devontae Smith had some monster catches, um, his utmost alts hit. He, has he replaced A.J. as number one? You know, I think it's going to be week to week, uh, but volatile and impossible to predict who goes off. I would say at the end of the season, I'd expect them to have comparable yardage totals. But, you know, I think we know at this point what A.J. Brown is like. He's, you know, uh, sort of Andre Johnson, you know, like that, that type of player. Smith, he could theoretically continue to get better. You know, like I would say A.J. Brown has kind of peaked. Smith might still be ascending. So maybe like the long tail 
there's the the possibility of Smith really being the number one, but I think it's like you pretty much have two co-number ones. Well, uh, speaking of co-number ones, um, the Minnesota Vikings, when it comes to the run game, it looks like they have no number ones. Like, it, are, are any of their running backs worth rostering or playing or, or, or anything this year? It, does, it doesn't look good so far. Yeah, this is this is painful. Massive L for me because I was, you know, significant flag planning on Alexander Madison. And boy, that that has not worked out. I would say, you know, maybe try to buy low on Madison. But like, I don't know if it's even worth it. Like, I, I don't want to say after two games that like this is like a failed experiment, but it, it looks terrible so far. If anything, I would say like invest in Tyler Chandler. Like he's probably on waivers in a lot of spots because if Madison continues to play the way he has played, someone else is going to have to get a shot. And Chandler's the very clear number two there right now. Uh, what I do like is like their assortment of pass uh, catchers. Jefferson continues to look like the best receiver in football. Hawkinson looks like this excellent safety blanket. What we often talk about how the tight end position is like Kelsey, Andrews, Kittle, and then volatility underneath. I think Hawkinson's actually pretty safe now. He is uh, uh, entrenched as a top three tight end right now as far as in fantasy markets. And then Jordan Addison, man, he could add a dynamic. He gives them a big play receiver. This could be a dangerous passing attack. So long as they stop fumbling the ball, like the Vikings could have very much. And we probably should be talking about a Minnesota Vikings victory today. Yeah, ab absolutely. But those those guys you mentioned, they are all really intriguing options for fantasy. Let's talk about San Fran and the L.A. Rams. I was very happy when you sent me this game because this is probably one of the shortest injury lists. Dre Greenlaw is limited, probably going to go. The only question is Puka Nakua DNP did not practice because of an oblique. Right now, the line is seven and a half plus 103 on Pinnacle for San Fran. Let's start off with first thing of note. Last week was Brandon Ayuk's monster game. Do you think that's a preview of who number one is, or is it just one game, too little sample size to read into? I mean, last year, he was the number one. You know, he progressed to the point of the end of the season, really being the number one wide receiver on that team. He's more of a true receiver, whereas Debo is kind of like an X-factor offensive weapon. Uh, and, you know, I think we continue to see all of those guys get usage. But, you know, Ayuk really is, I think, in you know, my opinion, the true number one wide receiver in that offense. Um, CMC had a monster game. I thought they would give the ball to Eli Mitchell a little more and, you know, keep CMC fresh for the playoffs. Is that just a one time CMC's just having too good a game to take him out? Or is that a concerning that they, they might overuse him? Yeah. I mean, maybe it was just a, a week one thing, you know, like you, you let your stud kind of run a little bit just to get the wild out of him. But mm -hmm. uh, it was surprising that Elijah Mitchell didn't get some run at the end of the game. Like last year when he was healthy, he took carries away from CMC. And I think that will happen eventually, but we need to see it first because maybe it is a, a new philosophy with Shanahan of like, look, I got this guy. I'm just going to use him and we'll see how far he can take us. Well, let's talk about Brock Purdy. We know he's at the very least a good caretaker of the ball, doesn't make mistakes, and can hit wide open guys. I, I wonder if he's going to be a top or range thrower, and you also have an angle on him. Right now, Pinnacle has his uh, pass attempts at 27.5 minus 158. There's 28.5 plus 100 in the markets that you like. What do you think of Brock Purdy in this game specifically and also uh, overall? Yeah, I don't know about top range 
thrower. You know, he's still developing, but I'll say I do have an MVP ticket on him at 50 to one from the preseason. Uh, that's in the free fantasy life bet tracker. You know, he was great last year. He looked, you know, pretty strong in week one. He might be the super version of Jimmy Garoppolo. And for this week, yeah, I definitely like over uh, on his passing attempt total. Uh, you know, he's one of my fantasy favorites for this week. I normally hate betting overs, by the way, but this number is just too low. Last week in a really strong game where they didn't need Purdy to throw in the second half, he still managed 30 attempts. Mm-hmm. The Rams looked respectable last week, and you know, this is a divisional matchup. So I expect that this game will stay close enough for long enough for Purdy to operate within the normal flow of the offense. And you know, the matchup is great. The Rams have uh in my you know ranking of this, the number 32 secondary in the league. So Kyle Shanahan could look to attack them via the passing game more than he ordinarily would. I have this projected at 31 and I would feel comfortable betting it to 29 and a half. You know, um, they throw a lot to fullbacks. Kyle Juszczyk gets out there in the flat to their running backs. Debo Samuel in a gadget role. They they almost use the short pass as an extension of their run game. And so that really bodes well. Let's talk about uh, the Rams offense. Stafford looked vintage in week one. And like my question is, and we won't know until we get more data points, and probably this week will not be a good judge either, but how much do you think is Stafford is kind of back and how much is Seattle's defense is kind of terrible? Yeah. I mean, the conservative part of me would say like, I'll, we'll split the difference, but like really when we have as much of a sample on Stafford as we do, I just kind of want to revert back to, you know, Stafford is, is good. And now that he's healthy, he looked good last week. Like we have the long established baseline with him. So I lean more towards this being like, Stafford was good. The offense was clicking. They weren't pressuring Stafford. So he was operating from the clean pocket. Everything was developing downfield. So I think this has more to do with Stafford, but it definitely also had to do with like the pristine environment that he was afforded because Seattle wasn't really getting anything on him. No. And he converted like 11 of 17 on third down and a lot of third and longs against the 49ers. That might not be a good recipe for success. I like a guy who will go into volatile waters, embrace variance and uncertainty and find some value right now. There's a debate about Kyron Williams and Cam Akers and who's going to run the ball. And you, the maniac are saying, no, I think I know who's going to run the ball. You like Cam Akers. He's right now 32.5 minus 110 in markets. Pinnacle has him 31.5 minus 118. You like his over? Yeah, again, I, I say it's less. I hate betting overs. I really do. But this just feels like it is far too low. Akers played behind Kyron Williams in week one, 53 snaps to 28. So pretty big discrepancy. And he saw all but four of his 22 carries in the second half. But when the Rams were uh, you know, grinding out the clock, he was the guy that they gave it to, and he converted those 22 carries into a really poor 29 yards rushing. And I think that's why we are seeing the line now in the market at 32 and a half. But here's what I think we should focus on. He had 22 carries. Like he, he led the league last week with 22 carries. And in his past eight games, so going back to week 12 of last year, he's averaged 72.3 yards on 16.8 carries per game. And he's gone over, over the total of 32 and a half uh, every game except one. And that was last week. So if Akers has even half of the 22 carries he saw last week, I think he should be able to hit the over. All right, you got Brock Purdy over in his pass attempts, Cam Akers over in his rushing yards. We'll move on to the next game, 
and you redeem yourself because you like some unders. Uh, let's talk about the Giants at Arizona right now. Giants are minus four. This market has fluctuated. It was four. A prominent uh, sports service put out the Giants as a recommendation. The line went up to five and a half. And better said, no, nope, uh, we want to take some Arizona. And we're back to four. Right now, I guess the real injuries to watch for are Andrew Thomas, their left tackle, and Darren Waller, who looks like they're going to be managing him all year, even though he likely will play. And then the Cardinals, James Conner is kind of limited. I want to do two things. I want to burn the Giants tape last week because you can't glean anything from that. It's just once the game gets out of control, it's gone. Like, throw it out. Let's keep a fresh set of mind. Uh, how do you think the Giants are going to attack the Cardinals? Do you think it's going to be a Saquon Daniel Jones attack? Yeah, I mean, exactly what you said. I think it's going to be establishing the lead early and then giving it to Saquon and, you know, maybe relying a little bit on the short passing game with Daniel Jones. But this feels like a Saquon type of game. So you think it's going to be a running game. Giants have a lot of receivers and nobody knows who is the defined roles yet. So you say, hey, I found one that I want to go under on. Um, right now, 33 and a half receiving yards and market pinnacle has 31 and a half. You like, uh, Isaiah Hodgins under. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I like this. And, uh, I bet the under on it last week too, it was 29 and a half yards. Uh, it cashed, I'm, you know, returning to it again. And, you know, even though it, the under cashed, it's now higher this week. And, you know, from a certain perspective, that makes sense. The Giants are in a better situation, uh, better matchup. They should run more offensive plays, score more points. But here's the thing, you know, against the Cardinals, I think they're going to run the ball and, you know, relying on the rushing attack for the super majority of the game. That doesn't, you know, put a lot of target opportunities for any of the wide receivers or any of the pass catchers for the Giants. And then on top of that, Hodgins is pretty unimportant for this team. He uh, played fewer snaps than Darius Slayton and Paris Campbell and Saquon Barkley and, you know, number two tight end Daniel Bellinger. He saw fewer targets than all of those guys, except for Bellinger, but fewer targets than Waller. Like he's the number five pass catcher on this team. So Based on what we saw in week one, I'm comfortable going under here. My projection is 27.5. Uh, I would probably have the cutoff at 30 and a half. So the other thing is Hodgins was basically, they picked him up off the street. He got cut off a roster. Nobody was uh, dying, dying and beating down his door to get him on the roster. He kind of caught a little bit of fire, but... You know, his pedigree doesn't say successful guy. Let's move over to the Cardinals offense. I say it's never too early to go back to the well again, especially when you give out an under and it clears by 50 yards. You got to be feeling pretty good about yourself. Uh, let's talk about Josh Dobbs. Um, there's 184 and a half in market, 185 and a half. Pinnacle has best in market, minus 116. You don't have any faith in this Josh Dobbs passing attack. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I would say the cutoff is maybe 170 and a half. He had 132 yards passing last week in a game in which his team needed him to throw the ball. Uh, and he actually had 30 pass attempts. And, you know, he was decent in that he completed 70% of his attempts. He didn't throw an interception, but he had just 4.4 yards per attempt. And it's not like that's an aberration for his career. He has just 5.1 yards per attempt. He is a limited player and he is limited within this offense. You know, they're trying to kind of put him in a box 
box and make sure he doesn't make mistakes. And that really, you know, puts a ceiling on what his upside could be. So absolutely love the situation here. And then like he could get benched, like he could actually get benched by Clayton Tune. If the uh, Cardinals ever reach a spot where, uh, you know, they should be throwing the ball quite a bit because they're down by 20 points, it might not be him throwing the ball. Got it. Got it. And you know what? Giants and Saquon and Daniel Jones probably will uh, soak away the game clock with some ball control, run the ball. Uh, Matthew, thank you so much. You gave us two overs. You gave us two unders. You're a balanced uh, prop guy. We appreciate it. Look forward to having you on again next week. Absolutely. Have a great one. Thank you. And uh, before we get to our next guest, please like the content. We want to get those likes up. It boosts the engagement. It really helps us out. Bringing in our next guest, Jack Miller. NFL fantasy betting and projections for establish the run. Jack, how are you? Doing well. How are you? I'm doing well, Jack. Um, we got two exciting games to talk about, which I love. Um, Baltimore Ravens at the Cincinnati Bengals. We're starting with right now. It's minus three and a half plus one Oh six from pinnacle. The, it's been fluctuating around the giant. The, the Ravens are dealing with an assortment of injuries. They lost JK Dobbins. For the year they lost Marcus Williams till the end of the year, at least. They also have Ronnie Stanley, Tyler Linderbaum, Marlon Humphrey are not practicing, and Mark Andrews has been limited. Whereas the Bengals, there is just one injury, but it's it, it's a concerning one. It's how healthy is Joe Burrow? Let's start off with the Ravens offense with the two major injuries on the O-line and Mark Andrews. Um, last week we saw reluctance to use Lamar as a runner, which we expected the quotes coming out from Todd Monken said so much. My question is, can this be a great offense if he's not running, if he's just a pure passer? Because it didn't look that good last week. I think it can be. I don't know if it's going to be an elite offense if they're not taking full advantage of Lamar's legs, but you know, I think he's a competent NFL passer. Um, last week we did see a, a scale back from previous seasons in terms of design runs. He's still finished with, think six or seven carries but they were all pretty much uh scrambles so it, it does seem like under Todd Munkin they're not gonna be designing as many runs for him which is to be expected but I think with Mark Andrews back and with the weapons they have in place it can still be a pretty good offense um relying more on the passing game uh what's your theory on the Baltimore Ravens and the fact that they can't stay healthy did they build their stadium on an Indian burial ground like what the hell's going on here Every year we're talking about seven, eight guys, and they're all major contributors. It's it's kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah. Them and the Chargers really need to make some, I don't know, some some changes or some sacrifices to the football gods because it seems like every year it's a problem. J.K. Dobbins goes down for the year, and my question for you is how does the rushing get divided moving forward? Is it Gus Bradley? Is it Justice, uh, not Gus Edwards, Justice Hill. Is it Melvin Gordon who somehow finds his way on rosters and gets carries everywhere he goes? How do you see this running attack? I'd expect Justice Hill to be the primary back this week. He kind of fits the the new offense better, better receiver than Gus Edwards. The, the thing is that we've never really seen Justice Hill um, shoulder uh, a starting workload for an extended period of time. So I think there's a chance that Gus Edwards really starts to eat into those early down carries as the weeks progress. But I think based on what we saw in the preseason and based on what we saw last week, you've got to think Justice Hill is going to be the RB1. Um, it's just a question of what is his ceiling in terms of touches and, and how long can he really hold off Gus Edwards uh, for early down work. 
there there's this interesting dynamic of you don't want to be way too reactionary, but oftentimes in a new offense with new coaches or new quarterback with new weapons, I kind of want to take a little bit of credence into what I see early because you don't know who someone's going to favor and what scheme helps a guy better. If you watch that game, Zay Flowers looked pretty damn good, didn't he? And my question is, is he already wide receiver one? Is he already ahead of OBJ and Rashad Bateman? I think he is the wide receiver one right, right off the bat. The the one thing I would like to see from him is he had an enormous target share last week, like 45% target share, I think. But his average depth of target was like 2.8 or, or 3. So I'd like to see him get some more targets down the field. But I think just based off the target trade got last week. And then, I mean, Rashad Bateman was his snap share and his route share were, were not very strong. So I think Zay Flowers is the, the wide receiver one already in Baltimore. And of course, you know, whenever you have an injury like to somebody as big as Mark Andrews, it's very hard to get, you know, numbers for everybody in market. Let's let's work under the assumption that Mark Andrews goes. Do you think he will be reduced? And if so, um, we don't have numbers, so this is a blind feeling, but you, you don't do you expect Andrews to have a big game or would you look somewhere else? Yeah, I mean, in terms of like betting, I think it comes down to what the number is. I think probably slightly lower than than 100%, but I don't think, I think if he's going, I don't, unless we get a report saying he, he'll be limited, which is, is very possible. Like, you know, we had that with Dobbs last week and we have it with Jerry Judy. And so maybe we get a report saying he's going, but he's limited, in, in which case you can expect big limitations. But I think otherwise you can assume he's mostly going to be good to go. You know, I, I uh, work under this this crazy theory. Like, say you were explaining to somebody new who had never watched football, but how good the Bengals and Joe Burrow have been the last two years and how this is the best trio of wide receivers. And that was their first game that they saw last week. They would think you're a crazy person. Uh, I don't know what to make of that Bengals offense last week. Uh, they gained six first downs. How much do you attribute that to rust, the calf injury, or the weather, or is it too is it too hard to tell? Yeah, it is hard to tell. I think if they put up a, another bad performance this week, I'd start to sound some alarm bells. But at this point, we have such an extended history of Burrow just being an elite quarterback of, of this supporting cast being elite that I'm not putting too much stock or panicking too much. And and like you said, it was kind of a weird combination of factors with the weather, which. Burrow talked about after the game is something that was kind of throwing off his rhythm and then first game back after missing a lot of camp. So I'm not panicking too hard on the Bengals guys. All right. Um, you know, the, the Ravens are likely without Marlon Humphrey. They also have lost safety Marcus Williams. It feels like they're vulnerable in the secondary. Who do you think could take the biggest advantage of them from all the receivers? Yeah, I, I think it's the easy answer, but I think Jamar Chase is, is obviously the guy there when he was on the field last year he was pretty significantly ahead of T Higgins in terms of target share. I know sometimes it's portrayed as like a one, a one B type of situation, but in terms of volume and also just in terms of, I think skill set, Jamar is kind of in his own tier. Um, so he'd be the main guy that, that I think could just go nuclear. You know, there was a lot made of the fact that uh, Joe Mixon was going to get a reduction in touches and he did. He only saw 13 carries, but he was used in the past game. We got three catches. He was targeted five times. He actually was just as productive as he usually is if he gets 20 carries. So it might be a, 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 a thing where they use him less because he's more fresh, though, and because teams will not be stacking the box. He might actually have the same level of production. Where do you stand on a Joe Mixon this year? 
Yeah, so, I mean, last year with Samadji Piran there, Piran was taking the third downs. This year, Piran's obviously gone, but it was a mix of Travion Williams and Chris Evans that got the third downs. Um, and so Mixon was still in the same role where he's not getting the third downs. But despite that last year, he was still able to have a pretty high target share because Burrow throws to his his running backs a lot on first and second down. So I, I kind of think it's going to be more of the same this year where he's not playing in the passing situations, but he can still put up some decent passing numbers um, because they throw, they check down to running back so much. And then, uh, you know, on, on early downs, he's going to be the guy getting the carries as opposed to Williams or, or Evans. All right, let's move on to the Kansas City game. Right now, the line stands at three and a half. It was two and a half earlier in the week, but, uh, you know, the Chiefs have had some pretty good positive news that has come out. Chris Jones looks like he's uh, made his way back with the contract. Travis Kelsey is practicing. Let's start with Chris Jones. Do you think he'll be, uh, you know, I, I always say it's tougher for big guys to stay in shape uh, in the offseason do you think Chris Jones is going to return back to form or would you expect some production hit from him? I think maybe they, they keep him like a little bit limited in his first game back. Um, I, I don't know what snapshare boats ahead last week, but they said the pregame that they're going to kind of limit his, his workload. So I wouldn't be surprised to see something similar uh, for the chiefs, but obviously it's, you know, any snaps he's out there, they're more likely to be high leverage situations or when he's going to be past rushing. Um, so, yeah, obviously a big a big hit or a big bump for the Chiefs' defense. Remember last week we, we alluded to, like, a person's injury is also, like, multiplied by who they're playing or a cluster around him. You know, the Jaguars have an issue right now with their guard, Brandon Scherf, and their center, Luke Fortner. This would be a hell of a game for them to miss when Chris Jones, one of the best defensive tackle, is lined across from them. Let's start off with what everybody wants to talk about with the Chiefs and their passing attack. Um, first of all, thank God Travis Kelsey is back. That's what Patrick Mahomes is saying because uh, Kadarius Tony and Sky Moore were playing a game of who could drop the ball more in more crucial situations. Do you think... Travis Kelsey will be a full go, or do you think if he does play, we're probably looking at a reduced Kelsey? I'd expect him to be mostly full go. It seemed like the reports last week were that he was pushing to play, but the Chiefs just wouldn't let him go. Um, but now he's he's going to have 10 days in between games. So, yeah, I, I'd expect him to be, to be mostly full throttle. Again, maybe we get a, a Schefter report on Sunday morning saying Travis Kelsey's going to be limited, in, in which case all bets are off. But since we don't have that information right now, um, I would assume that um, he's going to be pretty much handling a full workload. You know why he wants to play. The last time they played the Jaguars and Mahomes uh, hurt his ankle, he had 14 catches on 17 targets for 98 yards and two touchdowns. He doesn't want to miss this game. This is this is this is a feeding frenzy for him. Let's talk about the Jaguars. Like Trevor Lawrence got a new toy, and man, did he use him a lot? 11 targets. Eight catches, 101 yards, and a touchdown. You Do you anticipate this all year? Is uh, Calvin Ridley a wide receiver one legit and needs to be in that conversation across the league? I think so. Um, I mean, the, the reports throughout camp were dazzling, and then he comes out and does it, and backs it all up in week one. So, yeah, I, I kind of think that he's all the way back, and I'm excited to see what he can do this year. All right, Zay Jones, Evan Ingram, Travis Etienne, they all get five catches apiece, you know. Trevor Lawrence was spreading the ball, except to his favorite receiver last year, Christian Kirk. Uh, was that a one-time thing? Like, is Kirk, or do you expect Kirk to get a reduction because they've got too many weapons now and Calvin's the number one? 
Yeah, I, I think a slight reduction is probably in order. The most concerning thing for me was that in, during the preseason, we saw Zay Jones playing ahead of Kirk in two receiver sets, and that carried over to week one. Um, and then obviously the target share is just going to fall with Ridley there. Um, and, and Doug Peterson did say that they want to get Kirk the ball more, but still, I think if he's only playing in three receiver sets um, and now he's competing with like a true alpha and Ridley, it's obviously not good news for him. I mean, yeah, Zay Jones is over under is like 45 and a half yards. Christian Kirk's 38 and a half. There's probably people in fantasy wondering why they drafted Christian Kirk. And you're looking at one of them like 38 and a half yards it was unthinkable. If I saw a Christian Kirk line like that last year, it was an auto bang. And you're probably banging the alts as well. Uh, let's talk about the run game. A lot was made about tanks. Tank Bigsby's going to be the one B and he's really going to push ETN. Well, he got seven touches in game one. ETN got 23, and the difference is noticeable. Like, Bigsby uh, averaged less than two yards per touch. ETN went for over 100 yards. He looks explosive every time he touches the ball. Is this a case of ETN's clearly better, but they want to spell him enough to keep him fresh? Yeah, I think so. And then ETN, um, he wasn't great around the goal line last year, which isn't super predictive but maybe it doesn't matter if it's predictive if the coaches think it's predictive um and we did see bigsby get the goal line carry last week i think the most encouraging thing on etn was that he ran 30 routes on 35 lawrence dropbacks and so that passing game involvement was something we did not see last year so if that's there this year even if even if bigsby's getting you know some change of pace work and the goal line carries etn can can still have an enormous season yeah, there's a few of us in uh, the fantasy world that remember ETN dropping a couple balls uh, within the five-yard line that would have been surefire touchdowns. Uh, we talked about the 49ers-Rams game with Matthew Friedman. You've also got an angle in this game, and I talked about how Stafford looked vintage, and not only did he have a lot of time to throw against Seattle's pass rush, Seattle didn't look like they were covering anybody. It looked like they had nine defenders on the field. San Fran's defense is a whole other animal. There's going to be a, an immense pass rush. They're going to cover guys. Their safeties creep to the line. What what angle are you looking at with Matthew Stafford? Yeah, so this one has kind of gotten hit a little bit this morning, but there is still, um, I, I think, some value in it. It's Matthew Stafford under four and a half rush yards it looks it got juicy some places it looks like now there's some three and a halfs out there which i i think i prefer three and a half at reduced juice as opposed to four and a half at heavy or juice um, but i think four and a half is good to minus 145 ish and then i think under three and a half good to like minus 130 135 ish uh we'll say and, and that's available um in a couple spots right now looks like yeah, well, this is just the uh, Stafford's not going to try to run the ball, right? Like he's 36. He is not going to try to run on this 49ers defense and run into those guys at linebacker and uh, Hufanga creeping down his safety. He doesn't want to take those shots. There's no chance. Jack Miller, thank you so much for joining us, sharing info, giving us some insight on two of the bigger marquee games of the week. Uh, look forward to doing this again next week. And uh, do us a favor if you're enjoying the content like and hit the like button jack thanks so much yeah perfect let's bring in our next guest uh uh last but not least i feel like i should have uh an espresso during this uh this part of the uh friday episode john legaza host of call to the pen on the hammer network nfl and mlb writer for the athletic john how are you 
Yo, what's up, man? Brought in the instant energy. You went and saved the best for last. Let's go, man. Let's get it. Week two. I was so mad about the Rashad White miss last week. He gets out. He gets two early targets. We were correct that he dominated the snap share, but he did not dominate the receiving workload, which was a lot of the thesis for drafting him in fantasy. So, you know, that's why I'm always kind of a little like, not to say reticent, but, you know, I like to be conservative out of the box. I feel a little bit stronger now having seen some live data points. Let's get it, dude. And Baker Mayfield said, you know, I don't need a check down. I'm just going to run over everybody and then call them little boy and tell them to get their weight up. I love <laughs> I love the way Baker's fire is. If he was actually a very good quarterback, he'd be the most entertaining player in the league. Uh, yeah, in, in his defense, the, the weapons in Tampa Bay were there, and maybe we short sold that just a little bit because, right, we know the difference between having one plus win on the, on the offensive side. They have two wins on almost every snap with Evans and Godwin. So, you know what, I shortchanged Baker, I probably owe him an apology. John, you know, uh, last but not least, but I saved the two primetime games for you. And you know what, uh, I hope you can indulge me a little bit. I am a Miami Dolphin fan, and I'm still living in the clouds based on our performance. Right now, that game is minus 2.5, minus 125 at Pinnacle. There's some threes in the market. Uh, the Dolphins' only injury news is Teron Armstead, who... Finally took off the non-contact jersey. Looks like he's good to go. And then the Patriots are playing games with their injury report again. Four of the five offensive linemen are in the injury report. Jonathan Jones, though, the corner doesn't look like he's going to go, which is pretty pretty much a disaster when you're playing against caliber receivers that the Dolphins have. All right, let's start with it. Offense is down everywhere, John. That's all anybody can talk about. 12-4 and four to the under, except in Miami. They said, hey, we, we don't care what year it is, what era of football we're playing in. Forget your cover, too. Tua Tagovailoa explodes for 466 yards. Tyree Kill goes for 215 yards. My first question is, actually, when the books see these numbers, there's Joe Public, and, and majority of the market is uh, Joe Public, the recreational better. They all want to bet Tua and Tyreek overs. That, that's just a reactionary thing. They don't want to miss the boat the next time. Do the numbers get adjusted a lot, or, or are the bookmakers a little bit smarter about that? i got to be honest. The numbers felt pretty fair to me. Maybe it's a little bit of narrative on New England and their you know, long-standing track record of defense, which I think they've earned. Although, to your point, man, I wish we had a couple of hours probably to talk about this. But do your Dolphins really quick, man. Check it out. What McDaniel and the Dolphins have figured out. Man, I really I was trying to quantify this with stats with a couple of the brainiacs at the Athletic. And I'm having trouble because defensive statistics are very difficult. But McDaniel kind of soared into the future, and to defeat the two-high shell, the vaunted preventative two-high shell, which kind of stunts north and south. How do you beat north and south? You move east to west. He's creating defensive switching, similar to, like, the NBA. And now how do you accelerate that? Well, you get one track star. How do you, you know, force multiply that? Well, you get a second track star. And then how do you force multiply that? And this is really has been like the, the chef kiss piece to resist on. Remember, I'm a Jet fan, okay? So like praising the Dolphins here is really not that easy for me. But dude, I'm an X's and O's. I love, I love what I see. I love the game. And I love where this is the new wave. And it's this full sprint motion that he's getting out of Tariq Hill. So basically, Tariq Hill gets a five-step head start on the defense, and he's he's outrunning the safety that has like a 15-yard head start on him. It is, it's unlike anything we've really 
ever seen. So he's challenging you north to south in theory because you, you know he, he can beat you there. But they always go east to west first. They're confusing defenses. They're very hard to keep up with. Gosh, I've been surprised, to, and to your point with the betting stuff, I was surprised that the team total was at 24 and 8. I get the public likes New England. They're keeping it close. Division games, waka, waka, waka. We've all been there. Right now, how is anybody within a, a you know, keeping them under four touchdowns? It just seems unrealistic. They're so, so good. And then, like, Armstead, it's just, I don't know, man. This team at full go is as scary as anything in, in the league, easily. You know, uh, it, it reminds me of a movie trope where, you know, the the old evil genius, he's been this defensive guru forever, dominates, and then this young, quirky, out-of-the-box, weird energy, offensive genius, and we're going to get to see two geniuses go at it. This could be 4D chess. I'm looking forward to it. Let's assume that Bill figures out what nobody else can and takes away a Tyree kill somewhat. Who do you think steps up? Who do you think's the guy that could really have a big game if Bill's focus is on taking away Tyreek? Because often Bill's strategy is take away your number one weapon and and beat us with your other weapons. Wow. Okay. First of all, having big capital letters, that's impossible, right? You can't really take him away without I, I mean, you're gonna spend a third or like a fourth man on one person. It's 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 really ridiculous. You know, you almost have to Allow him to operate underneath and then try your damnedest to tackle him, you know. But to that point, you know, the Patriots getting some love because they did stunt the Eagles, which now after last night again, I know they hung the points. We're certain that they're great outside of these few big plays. Not 100% certain, but anyway, Pat's D, four yards of play, 18 yards of drive, sub-90 opposer passer rating. Those are all really good. And they really run a lot of a, kind of extreme schematics right they're the most man the least too high the most kind of six defensive back you can see a lot of dime packages yeah interesting to that they the dolphins didn't see a lot of man against la the only person i got the ball was three three for 84 and oh it was all from the slot so i think that's number one if new england lines up man you're going to see Tariq in the slot the dolphins are going to look to go in that direction if they go to the zone miami versus the zone of course, he'll, if you're looking at one game sample, he dominated the world, yeah. right? So nine targets, seven, one, 27, and one. That gets his own. He beats it all. But what I wanted to point out to people, the thing that you might not have guessed, was after that was actually Durham Smythe, who led in target share against his own. Yeah. And he earned five targets. Now, we only converted three, which, again, is not fantastic, but three for 41. And, again, if they're a little more efficient and he runs hot, you got to like Smythe if you are into, like, a robust property ticket. I didn't go live with it yet. It's still a little bit early. I still have some baseball in the braid, but don't be expected, you know, don't be surprised if I have Smythe out there, because that's what I think you're going to see. Remember, Belichick's always about the counterpunch. If you think he's going to play man, that'll be the time you start to see some zone, and I believe he's going to look to put hands on the Dolphins, right? That was the solution yeah. to the problem last year. Again, McDaniel trying to stay one step ahead has been, well, I'm going to run him in motion. Good luck catching him. Yeah, yeah. I think I think there's going to be a special attention on that. Also, don't be surprised if you see remember six DBs. If you see the opposing DB look to put a hat on Hill as he's coming across the field, there's mm -hmm. going to be a lot of back and forth in this game, like you mentioned. It's going to be hard to predict. But a guy like Smythe, the props are all so low. Man, I am Mr. Low Bar. Look at me, man. You know, yeah. like it's all about low expectations in this game. <laughs> Exceeding never, low expectations is how I made my bone. So I do like Smythe the more I think about it. It's better when they never see you coming, right? When, yeah, when, absolutely, man. All right, let's talk about Mac Jones in the offense. Like, he slung it 54 times. Now, they were in a hole, 
but 316 yards. But I think Mac Jones is a communist because he he gave six different wide receivers six targets. It's unheard of. He said everybody gets a ball like Oprah. She used to give uh, gifts to every member in the audience. The guy who was actually the lowest, though, uh, the expected number one wide receiver, Juju Smith-Schuster, finished sixth in yards. Kendrick Bourne was the guy. He got all the targets. He got the touchdowns. I need you to make some sense of this Patriots passing game and who we need to target. I am choking back the laughter. Why? Because we talked about the ex- the knee that could explode at any second. Apparently, it might have exploded. Maybe we just didn't hear it. You know, Juju, again, you know, if, if we're going to be honest, as much as we want to kind of bow down to the Patriot dynasty, which, again, a lot of that is deserved. They have done the poorest job evaluating wide receiver talent of anybody, and it's not even close. It's by an order of magnitude. Look at Jacoby Myers. You try to replace him with Juju. He's already dusted. He's hurt. It just meanwhile, Jimmy G made Jacoby Myers look like Jerry Rice. I mean, geez, somebody help these people evaluate wide receivers. Okay, now now this is gonna be fun because I had to I had to pick up the Dolphins. Let's 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 go the other way on the Patriots. Now again, one thing that we do I do have to recognize and respect. Because I rewatched it and I take some notes. Lots of good things for offensive pace and them never being out of it, right? Like you mentioned, the big drop back rate. Bill O'Brien made a tremendous and marked difference to this team. It's going to resonate, okay? Yes. Meaning they're no longer a team that can't come from behind. What I think people need to be weary of is this is the running gun Patriots. No, 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 no. You mentioned it. There were turnovers. They fell down early. And now they show the ability to have. They're going to go get it. And that's a positive. Okay, however, but, 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 big shaking butt, as I like to say on my show. So despite number one in plays, number four in pass rate, 75%, wow, 16th in completion rate, they were 19th in EPA per play, 15th in yards per attempt, that was sub six, 20th in yards per completion, that was in the single digits. Matt Jones was 28th in EPA against man. Why? Because that wide receiver room, they don't create separation. So expect... Expect to see a lot of man from Miami. And they're going to dare. You want to throw the ball? You're going to dare you to throw the ball. The person you want to look out for is Ramondre Stevenson. And this is where the small sample people are really going to get into trouble. But look at the stats. They didn't run for a damn, George. I don't get it. Miami, that is where you want to kind of get them. Right? New, New England, the rush was terrible. Three and a half yards of carry. 1.1 yards after contact per rush. But check it out. Really, the line stat you want to be looking for, I like, is 2.3 yards before contact per rush. That's the sign that things are going to improve. I don't want to hear about Mike Ray Stevenson doesn't have to run the rock anymore. Okay, Miami allowed 5.8 yards per carry and more than two yards before contact per rush. <gasps> On the flip side, against LA, we saw them. They're going to dare you with the Fangio too high. I mentioned that last week. He, he, tempt, he wants you running the ball. It's a victory. Exactly. But it manifested, dude. 32nd in EPA per rush. Wow. Minus 0.31. The next one was 0.07, more than four times worse. Yeah. So this is the Ramondre game for for, Patri- for Patriots and Belichick. He's not – they're not looking to throw. This is like an under-completion. You know what I mean? Under-attempts, under-completions, over-carries for Ramondre, over-yards for Ramondre. One of the best ways to defeat the Dolphins is to just keep them off the field, bro. Tyreek can't score from the sideline. So I'm not sure people are – have really kind of taken this game to somewhere I'm not ready to go as far as, like, pace and stuff. I'm not buying the Patriots now, like, live in a Ferrari. I just think they have a, you know, eight-cylinder engine. 
They're, they're more adaptable now in last week's circumstances. Called for 1,000. I, I already know what I'm going to do when I leave uh, this stream. I'm going to crack a beer. And I'm going to bet some Ramon J. Stevenson overs. You've sold me. You did it two weeks in a row. Let's talk about Cleveland and Pittsburgh. And I'm sitting here wondering uh, why the hell do we got to watch two Monday night football games happening at the same time? Like, really, we couldn't time this. We couldn't do six o'clock and nine o'clock. We, we, we really got to overlap. And I say this, even though Sundays I, I happily watch six different games at once on six screens at one o'clock. That being said, let's talk about the game. I prefer to talk about Cleveland minus two and a half minus one oh eight at Pittsburgh. I guess the story is um, the injuries for Pittsburgh and one injury for the Browns. They lose their right tackle, Jack Conklin, for the season. Now, they have a rookie, Dewan Jones, fourth-round pick, who's going to step in. This guy is a monster of a man, 390 pounds. I actually had him as a second-round talent. He fell because of character concerns, not because of his ability. The Steelers, on the other hand, they're going to be without Deontay Johnson, without Cameron Hayward. And then we're watching Pat Fryermuth. Let's start off with this Cleveland Browns offense. Deshaun Watson had another week of not looking good, albeit again, it's with weather. Something happened. He's pissed off the weather gods. Does he <laughs> does he still have some elite traits or are we selling what, that idea? What could he have done to piss them off? Jeez. <laughs> oh, anyway, listen, all, although to the to the serious part of that piece of analysis, which again, weather is part of it. Yes. That we can't overlook. He's gonna play in Cleveland. The weather there is bad habitually. Yeah. So like you, that's not the kind of thing to brag about. You know what I mean? Like you know, playing in Green Bay, he'd be great if he could play in only play in the cold. Yeah. Well, guess what? When it matters, you're going to have to. Same for Cleveland. So, all right, go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off, but like, come on, you really set me up there. All right, uh, let, let's talk about it. Uh, past game, if it's going to be successful against the Steelers, you think there's a specific guy who's going to find success? Yes, absolutely. And man, so just Pittsburgh in in total, we have to worry if this is the preseason pumpkin. You know, if it does happen. Sometimes, you know, right? We are so sure the Seahawks are going to be great, or so sure the Steelers are going to be great out of the box. A lot of times, we—it's like trading, man. It's very difficult. Sometimes we put continuation and breakouts onto things that are going to naturally regress into like a rectangular pattern. It doesn't mean these things are bad. It just means where you were looking for another kind of level up, it might not necessarily be there, or just in the timing that we thought it was going to happen. Again, these things are all small samples, all very difficult. So I'm not saying like, oh, I knew it, I saw it coming. I'm not crazy about trying to put huge talent leaps on people. I just like to see it first. Yes. You know, for betting, you have the advantage. For fantasy, you don't. So for betting, let's try and use that. Yes. Man, like in, in the notes, you mentioned like a lot of the bad and all, of, you know, Deshaun Watson kind of looking rough. But there really was some good from Watson also. Mm -hmm. And now I maybe have to squint a little bit. Yeah. But again, <laughs> there, it's, it's, it's there if you look around the corner. There's something there. <laughs> all right. Nearly 11 air yards per attempt from Watson. Nearly 50% of the sticks. Those are all both well above average. And that's what you want to be doing. He took four deep attempts in a bad weather game with 11% deep pass percentage, which, again, is, is above average. And he had one big-time throw per PFF. Also, the plus 9% scramble rate for three first downs. 50% play action. These are things that I think are sustainable that work in particular with the most important player on the team. You know, Papa Chubb there. In, in the backfield. You've got to pay attention to this guy. Oh, yeah. And I think a lot of the questions that are about Deshaun Watson should just be answered like, Nick Chubb, is, he the, is Deshaun Watson still an MVP? And I'd say, did the Jets really wish they had a need an MVP right now? No, you like one, but you just need somebody competent. Yeah. So if Watson's be better than competent, but attack the field deep, which he's been doing, scramble effectively, which he's been doing, 
and take shots on the field, right? The double-digit air yards per target. This is not nothing, man. The skills are there. I'm looking at Elijah Moore. Mm. Pittsburgh defense, bottom 12 in coverage week one per PFF, negative 0.12 EPA per drop back, 111 opposer passer rating allowed, 11.5 yards per reception, per reception, which is a good match for the way Watson's been slinging it. Also, 31st to EPA against the slot. They gave up 9 for 92-2 and two against the slot last week. Elijah Moore, here we go. Per next-gen stats, third overall in separation rate in the league. Led Cleveland in 28 routes, 89% route participation rate. For seven targets, 43 yards. 25% target per route, 24% of the team target share. 18 slot routes, four targets, three for 43. That's where I want to be looking. Three for, he had three for 43 in the slot last week, heading into a plus slot matchup where the prop bet is 37 and a half minus 115. George, let's go get the ladder again, man. You know, you're going to miss in this world. You got to go up the ladder, man. But after me, you know, I can run out of breath faster than some. So I'm making a short ladder, one of those little three step painter ladders, but I'll get up on one of those. I got 37 and a half at minus 115. Again, I don't want to go in the weeds too much. I like to put enough on it that if you hit it, you make a comfortable profit on the venture individually. I usually think of 70% of whatever risk you're going to use. At minus 115, it's like a 40% profit back of the napkin man. But that will allow you 30% of your risk to go over 49 and a half plus 155. I mean, 50 yards for the number one receiver is good. And then plus 455 to get him to 75 yards is all available right now. So... You know me, I'm never going to give out stale stuff. This is literally on the vine this second. I love Elijah Moore in this spot, man. Separation plus the slot and the matchup plus Pittsburgh. Then you have to focus on Nick Chubb and Deshaun Watson. Yeah. And that allows little pockets underneath. And that's why I think it's this is a perfect match in heaven. I think we're going to get back last week's plus some. Because, again, when you hit up the ladder, it helps you pair that PL, that win-loss percentage. Yeah. Not have to be so so high right because a lot of times like i was into devonta smith last night 67 we hit the that was the whole ladder one up to 125 there was plus 1025s out there yeah i wish i would have dragged myself up the six footer <laughs> <laughs> john you, you know i think you're, you're you're squinting your eyes and you're saying you know what is that brandon Ayuk or is that elijah moore you think you Elijah good gonna play the brandon Ayuk role right same idea you got to put a lot of focus on the running back nick chubb cmc they have another number one wide receiver they have uh debo samuel and you got to worry about amari cooper and all of a sudden the guy in this great analogy man if he's a, if he's half the route runner Ayuk is and that's again the separation numbers after one game we don't want to overreact to but these things are tracked and it does matter right if you're better at if you're better than studs at anything like, it's something to look at. And we know Moore's a big-time talent. Jets had the quarterback issues and some mismanagement going on, plus maybe some attitude stuff that could be cleaned up. Who knows, you know? A lot more. I just think the talent's being undersold. Number one wide out for sub-40 yards. To me, that, again, dude, low expectations. Hashtag low expectations. Yeah. John, uh, you know, when you said Papa Chubb, uh, my dirty Greek mind uh, thought I heard something else, and I created a visual for myself. I thought I'd just bring it up, but... Let's talk about the Steelers. Uh, they probably needed some Advil. Other than the Jets and the Giants fan bases who probably felt the worst uh, this week due to the Rodgers injury or getting blown out 40 nothing. the Steelers had all this optimism, and then they saw their offense uh, have one yard on the first four drives and no first downs. They just lost Deontay Johnson for a while. They've lost Cameron Hayward. The optimism seems to have, like, you know, the air's been let out. Give the Steelers fans a reason to be optimistic about this offense. Okay, get ready. No. 
<laughs> no, I'm sorry. Right now, it's just no. Deontay Johnson is a is a top tier talent. And again, like we mentioned, how it's not just about one player; it's about how it resonates, right? How you drop the stone, it creates it creates the butterfly effect. Yeah. You know, he makes Pickens that much better. Now you have to bump everybody up the line. I don't know, man. This right now, what I what I think the real question is, and I think we're not going to get another look at it, is people haven't really talked about. The Cleveland Brown defense, he brought in Schwartz. Yeah. Now they're top three in blitz percentage, top six nickel. Man, 20% too high zone. And what did we see? All the passing stats. Yeah, it was, again, we kind of blaming the weather. We love to blame the weather. We love Joe Burrow. Big hand jokes aside. But, you know, they squashed the Bengals, dude. Hmm. I mean, Burrow's a Cincinnati guy. You can't tell me he hasn't seen bad weather before. Shouldn't have really been that much of a shock. So, again, he you're getting about... 65% zone. I think they may even dial that up. So Pittsburgh against the zone. Yeah. A Rob got seven targets, five for 64. You got to look at him. But I think the real one here is again, this is like maybe a deeper in the weeds. I couldn't find the prop listed. Was actually Calvin Austin earned all six of his targets against his own, went six for six. Mm. Low yardage, 36. But he could be another interesting reception play. It's probably going to come in at like one and a half or two and a half, maybe two flat. I'm not sure. I haven't seen. I couldn't. These things, we were mentioning this earlier on in the morning, man. I'm up before the crack of dawn thinking about you, baby. <laughs> They're not posted. No, the menu, the menu that used to look like a cheesecake menu, like a phone book, now looks like one of these fancy menus where it doesn't even tell you what it is and you just get a number next to it without the dollar sign. I imagine you know? we'll need some clarity on Friar Muth too before we see some of those uh, other marks. I think that's probably what it is. That's probably what it is. See, you know what? I see cues and I kind of assume, yes, and now maybe with the popularity of prop betting, thanks to people like yourself. Yeah, you know, like they have to be careful, right? Hanging bad numbers. Although generally, the market kind of takes care of itself. The way they limit it, I'm I'm surprised that they're so afraid to put these things out. You know what I mean? They're so afraid to put them out. John, you know, you, I'll tell you why you're a good friend to Steelers Nation. Okay, you know how you know if you have a good friend is if they're not afraid to hurt your feelings and tell you the yeah. harsh. It's rough right now, man. Right? Some some people will always sugarcoat it, never want to get on your bad side. That's not a good friend. A good friend tells you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. So when I asked, is there a reason to be optimis optimistic? You said Steelers fans, not this week, not against this Cleveland team. No run game either. Yeah. You know, you, they're, they're the least explosive. That's the least explosive number one back in the league. Like, can you imagine you're like a first-round pick? You're bragging about having a single 20-yard run? Jeez, yeah. Louise. The, it, he's totally dust. It looks really bad. And, again, that run defense for Cleveland. Dude, number one in defensive rush success rate. Number two in yards before contact per rush. What does that tell you? Even with the nickel that they're running, the, the like, really a ton of nickel, they're collapsing the pocket and getting in the backfield. Garrett looks like a wrecker. He's probably worth looking at it for a defensive player of the year ticket right now. Oh, yeah. You know, I think you kind of overreact. I think you do overreact to it. There's only so many games, and you're only going to get so many before people are like, oh, wait a minute, this guy has 10 sacks through four games, you know? Yeah. You know, um, uh, the only thing that keeps Najee Harris as the RB1 in Pittsburgh is because he, they wasted a first-round pick on him. The capital, yeah. yeah. Because uh, he has not looked good. John, thank you so much. You brought the energy. You brought the fire. You Appreciate brought a, you, dude. A, a, a nice ladder bet to look at Elijah Moore. I look forward to doing this again next Friday. Oh, man. Thank you so much. Take care, man. Enjoy the weekend. Take care, John. And that's it for the Friday edition of the Forward Progress football coverage we got going Every day of the week, Monday to Friday, 2 p.m. with an assortment of hosts and guests. Sunday mornings, Rob Pazola is going to pick you up. 
11 a.m. for the pizza buffet where he looks at the game's last minute and sees if there's any bets that can still be made. And then in the evenings, him and Clive Bixby, they'll be discussing the opening lines and where they see them moving. You absolutely must subscribe. Hit the notifications bell so you don't miss any of the content. Also, smash the like button once again. Thank you to our sponsors, Pinnacle, who have been in business for 25 years. Everybody knows they have competitive odds. You got to bet smart. You got to bet Pinnacle. Must be 19 plus in Ontario. Please play responsibly. Not available in the U.S. That's it for me. Thanks to Matthew Friedman, Jack Miller, John Legaza, as well as producer Jason. And you, the audience, are the most important people that I need to thank. Have a great football weekend. Cash some tickets. Until next time.